We were told uh, we couldn't plan for Brexit and the pandemic at the same time. They were too, it was too uh, ridiculous to think of both happening at the same time. Hello and welcome to The Trawl, where we scroll through social media so you don't have to. I'm Marina Perkis. And I'm Gemma Forte. Welcome to episode 69. And sometimes with The Trawl, the theme is obvious, but in this episode, it's sort of like a bric-a-brac stall. You know, like when you go to the school fete and you've got to bring something for the raffle and you're sort of rifling around in your old drinks cupboard and there's a few sort of random bottles <laughs> and you just grab it and then it joins all the other random bottles together on the table. Sort of a bit like that. It's a, you know, it's a pick and mix of Tory bashing. That's what no, it is. It is like a buffet of bashing, if you like. <laughs> so our starter for you is something very dear to my heart. It's actually royal family related, Gemma. What? What? Marina, you kid me. It's me. I'm actually wanting to talk about royals. Can you? Yeah. How does that? Because I, wait a minute, also, this is a turn up for the books because I actually texted you this week and said, we're going to obviously talk about Prince Harry. And you you text back, it bores me. (laughs) It does bore me, but took a turn, took a turn. Okay. So Prince Harry now... I think is doing a genuinely valuable public service as a royal. And no, I don't mean cutting ribbons or waving at us through the windows of a golden carriage, something that actually makes a difference. So mm-hmm. he's basically taking some of our tabloids to court over phone hacking and other, you know, unlawful information gathering. While he's doing this, he's landing some absolute truth bombs about the rotten state of the press in this country, but this is the better bit. It made me tingle. Truth mm. bombs about our government, Gemma. So, Gosh. are you ready for mic drop one from Prince Hazza? Mm. He said, At the moment, our country is judged globally by the state of our press and our government, both of which I believe are at rock bottom. <sighs> mic drop. Boom. And then mic drop two. Democracy fails when your press fails to scrutinise and hold the government accountable and instead choose to get into bed with them so they can maintain the status quo. Boom. Do you think there is anybody in the UK called Michael Drop? (laughs) (laughs) You can call me Mike for short. That would be quite amusing, wouldn't it? Yeah, so those are very good Michael Drops. And I tell you what, as well, there was a great article written by Hardeep Matharoon, as she is the editor of Byline Times, and she writes beautifully. And she wrote, of all the people to speak of the importance of an accountable press for a healthy democracy, truth and decency, it is frankly remarkable that it is one of the British elite's own. I tell you what, good point. How often do we hear papers like The Telegraph wanging on about these mysterious elites? We never mm. really know who they are. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's fair to say that Prince Harry absolutely is an elite, that extraordinarily he's holding the government to account. So that's all backwards and topsy-turvy and very confusing for The Telegraph. Is he an elite or is he like a tofu-eating mokarati? It's hard. I can't keep up <laughs> these days. It's very hard. No, wait a minute. Is he part of the blob? And has he got a Remainer mind virus? Oh, very quickly going to interject. Exciting. Yes. I've been seeing today, Marina, on Twitter, that the Telegraph and the Spectator oh, are in yes. deep doo-doo mm. and potentially going into administration. I know. This is brilliant, isn't it? Can you imagine what a joy? Someone pointed out maybe they should stop just buying their avocado toast and lattes and they'd be all right. <laughs> Good one. 
I know. Back to Harry, though, and given that position that he's taken, slating the press, slating the government, it's no wonder the right-wing media were trying to like constantly vilify him. So well done, Harry. You are playing a blinder here. We are supporting you. And you know what? You might just make a royalist of me yet. So, Marina, who knows, to accompany your House of Lords towel that you've got in your downstairs bog from when we went to the <laughs> gift shop maybe you'll soon have some prince harry tea towels in your kitchen steady steady actually <laughs> step what, too far if he keeps late in the government i might buy a commemorative plate <laughs> duvet cover <laughs> <laughs> but just on that just before we move on from prince harry do you know another thing that was really weird about the story is that sky news legitimately like they posted a reenactment of harry in a court at the stand using an actor and it was just this like random posh ginger dude and it was like, and larry and paul the comedic duo wrote what the actual living f and then at city lights music replied saying that's not prince harry that's prince barry <laughs> it was really weird when i see things like that because that chap no doubt must be an actor you know looky likey whatever i always think oh you know we're it all just only like perhaps him. three job losses away from doing these things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've all done it. We've all been dressed as a potato, given out leaflets or whatever. <laughs> Do you know one of the weirdest jobs I ever, ever had? Do you remember the comedy series, The Kumars? Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. They needed to have people stand in for rehearsals. So I spent two days pretending to be Judy Finnegan in <laughs> rehearsals. That was weird. <laughs> Many years ago. Bizarre. Oh, very nice. Right, shall we get into the main course now and start trawl proceedings, Marina, with a bit more of what we really love to see? And it's the Tories eating themselves, <laughs> aka the COVID inquiry. And it's a shit show. It really is. At Nicholas Tyrone wrote, It is funny watching Boris Johnson with his last vestiges of political capital doing seemingly everything he can to screw over Sunak and the Conservative Party and all the Tories who still can't bring themselves to realise that it was always all about him and nothing else. Exactly, exactly. Johnson only cares about Johnson. I actually think he could potentially be going for a scorched earth policy. He doesn't give a shit anymore. Anyway, no. back to this inquiry, and Baroness Hallett, who is the chair of the inquiry, she's just getting even more badass got a lot of time for her so a few things she said that she will search johnson's old phone so this is the one that he had throughout most of the pandemic which is wonderful two she has confirmed that the cabinet office invited her to withdraw her section 21 notice so this is the section 21 order that basically compelled the government to produce the evidence that she's asked for and she has publicly declined and three she's come out and said it's up to me to decide what evidence is relevant or potentially relevant. Thank you very much. I love it. Mm. If it wasn't she, because she is wonderful, we don't need to replace her. But if not, I think they should get Sheila Fogarty in there because it's sort of similar Duchess vibes in a really, really good way. And you can see why she isn't budging on this. Have a listen to this clip posted by Best for Britain at Best for Britain of an interview on Sky News with the former Justice Secretary, Lord Falconer. Here he is talking about what Baroness Hallett has experienced. I've asked you to give me document or WhatsApp messages that are relevant, and I don't trust you 
to make the right call in relation to that. For example, you've provided me with some of the things that you have blanked out so I could make a judgment on it. And I've looked at some of this stuff and some of the stuff you've blanked out plainly is relevant. And let me give you one example. You blanked out material in which you were exchanging messages with other ministers and officials about how you would apply the COVID-19 rules to those demonstrations after Sarah Everard was murdered. Now, that is plainly relevant to the question of how you took decisions as a government in relation to COVID-19. So she's saying, I decide it's relevant to know what else you were doing and I don't trust you to make the cut. Man alive, as this rumbles on, it is exceedingly juicy. And I have heard rumours as well. I have no official source for this. I was talking to my dad. so. (laughs) (laughs) But he said he's thinking that they're trying to muck about with the timetable a bit and that they're probably going to try and push all the care home stuff till after the election. You know, this will be... I don't know where he got that from, Gosh. okay? So that just might be absolute... Please. Entirely plausible, though, you know? Entirely plausible. Yeah, I must ask him who his source is. Probably some mate on Facebook. But that's why <laughs> It's the sort of thing, yeah, you wouldn't put past them. Anyway, the more you read, the more you see the government doesn't have a leg to stand on in withholding anything at all. And Professor Colin Talbot, at Colin R. Talbot tweeted a screenshot of a page from the official HM government guidelines specifically on non-corporate communication channels like WhatsApp, private emails and SMS. And the bit he highlighted in yellow read, government comms belong to the Crown and must be handled lawfully, use non-corporate communication channels with care and be prepared to explain and defend your choices. Mm. Bad luck, lads. Looks like you are bang to rights. They won't have been thinking at the time at all in this sensible way because they're not sensible people. So this is their behaviour. It really looks like their disgusting behaviour is going to bite them in the arse. Little sidebar, actually, this is hilarious. So lawyer Chris Dorr at Crim Law UK, he pointed out the government is relying on the European Convention of Human Rights to withhold Boris's messages. Can anyone think of a bigger irony? (laughs) No, I can't. Do you know, maybe that's why they've gone quiet on uh, leaving the European Convention of Human Rights because they want to get this inquiry out of the way and then they'll leave it, maybe. (laughs) Anyway. Maybe. And even more ridiculous, all these people coming out trying to protect the government and their argument is that the WhatsApps aren't relevant. And Suze Kempner at Suze UK wrote, it's always funny when Tory spokespeople are all, I don't think the British public are interested in Boris Johnson's WhatsApps. When we really effing are, even just for the memes, we definitely want to see those WhatsApps. Oh, I I referenced it in the last episode, Carol Vorderman talking to James O'Brien. And again, this idea that the government tell you what they think you're interested in or what you care about. And in fact, was it Johnson who always used to say, what the people really care about, what the people really want to see? And then it was always followed up by something that you didn't care about. I'm sorry, people do care about Partygate. They do care about the fraud. They do care about the huge, wasteful COVID contracts. They absolutely blooming do. So sorry, we're interested. I would read those WhatsApps back to back. And I haven't read a book since I had my kid two and a half years ago. So <laughs> that's something I would make time When for. would you do it? Would you just do it at three in the morning for the hour when your babies are asleep? Yeah, I'd carve out an extra hour somehow. I'd have to do it. It's, it's necessity. Put them in some sort of nursery or something. <laughs> I do that already. Outsource. <laughs> anyway, away from my parenting. One of the people that is trying to suggest that the WhatsApps aren't relevant is a guy called James Bethel. 
So he is a former health minister and Guardian deputy political editor Pete Walker wrote, Former health minister James Bethel was on Radio 4 just now arguing the COVID inquiry needs limiting, lest it might also want to look at the WhatsApp messages for his kids' school parents groups in case they are relevant, which doesn't sound hugely likely to me. Like, what? Yeah. So at band underscore reunion wrote, why is he mixing his kids' messages with government business? Yeah, like I'm pretty certain the government don't want to look at your messages with your kids' school parents group. Why would they? That is absolutely hilarious. And of course they don't, because apart from anything else, those particular types of threads are bloody boring. It's a government phone. Surely you have your school groups on your personal phone? Yeah, like that is just such a load of rubbish. The government want to look at government business. And if you conducted that over WhatsApp, hand over those particular chats, yeah, bell. <laughs> By the way, those school threads, I have it on mute. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I've got lots of... Anyway, let's not go into it. There's an account <laughs> named at 6VPF who wrote, Hi Scoobs, would it be a terrible pain for you to collect markers from rugby today? And also wondering if your dreamy hubs knows of anyone who can knock up some PPE. Could be 50 million in it for him, if that helps. And that former health minister, Lord Bethel, would know a thing or two about concealing phone data as it goes, because Bethel found himself tangled up in the PPE scandal. I mean, mm. were any of them not? Were mm. any of them not having their grubby fingers in it? Because it was his job to oversee PPE and COVID contracts. So no wonder he's against all this exactly. transparency. Yeah. And as a result, the government was expected to disclose James Bethel's correspondence relating to the award of £85 million worth of contracts for COVID tests. And what happened? Well, David at zero underscore four wrote, that's the same Lord Bethel who mysteriously lost his phone, then alleged it was broken, only to then claim he'd given it to a family <laughs> member. So... Dodgy, dodgy little bastard. Right, I just want to mention something about Lord Bethel because I've got a lot of beef with Bethel and I feel like sometimes it's important to give context to who these people are. And with Lord Bethel, Lord, yeah, Lord, mm. honestly, you've never known a more entitled Hoobry stuffed bellend because... Oh, is a Hoobry stuffed bellend a bit like a stuffed bell pepper? Is it similar? <laughs> it's worse. Okay. <laughs> so James Bethel, right? So do you remember in 2020 when there were like loads of distraught A-level students because like 300,000 of them, whatever, had their marks downgraded because of the government's, in fact, it was Gavin Williamson's flawed algorithm. Do you remember? Oh my gosh, I do. Yeah, okay. I really do. Right. So loads of A-level students have been like, you know, they're really panicking. And this Lord Bethel, he came out and he caused outrage because he told students not to worry about bad A-level results because fluffing his own exams taught him wait for it how to hustle oh hustle Gemma no I haven't finished I haven't finished the reason this was so like what is because do you want to know a bit more about Lord Bethel's hustle how he got oh, to where God. he is with all that hard graft and hustle oh go and break it to me okay so like all good hustlers Lord Bethel is also a baron privately schooled at Harrow but somehow he fluffed his A-levels Despite that, he got mm. into the University of Edinburgh with fluffed oh. animals. Strange that. Yeah. His dad was a House of Lords here. Mm. Mm. 
He worked as a journalist and then he managed a Ministry of Sound nightclub. Oh. Yeah. He then sets up a PR firm and lands, coincidence, pure coincidence, three government campaigns. Wonder how. Then he oh. sells his firm, becomes a lord in waiting. His dad dies. He inherits his peerage. Then he becomes Undersecretary of State for Health, where he hands out literally millions of pounds of our money to his cronies. Oh, I can't feel weak. Yeah. And you think about those hundreds of thousands of kids who don't come from a background like that, who really do want to get their A-levels and they really are, you know, devastated that they've... And you know what, though? The government didn't care. Should I tell you why, Marina? Because they hate young people. <laughs> they absolutely hate them. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what they've got against them. And the other thing I say, as somebody who Young people don't vote Tory. That's why. Oh, God. My daughter is doing her A-levels at the moment. My son is doing his GCSEs. And Marina will attest to this. It's quite a stressy time. And I think about how meaningful they are. And I'm just so lucky that she wasn't in that cohort because it's bad mm. enough as it is. Anyway, hustle my ass is what I say. Lord Bethel, you don't know the bloody meaning of the word. Oh, dearie me, Bethelie, Bothelie, Bothel. Now, <laughs> in the latest edition of Socialism for the Rich and Capitalism for the Poor, get a load of this. We know that Johnson's been threatened with losing support for his legal fees if he continues to undermine the government's controversial position over the COVID inquiry, which brings us to Lord, Lord of the <laughs> Felt a bit courageous there. I want to join in. It was, be I like it when we do it together. The podcast partners who sing together, stay together. <laughs> Lord Crodas. Oh my God, we're having like a Mollyan moment. So there was some episodes back where it was Mollyan every blooming week. Well, at the moment it's cruddy Crodas. Lord Crodas said, Boris's legal fees can be raised in half a day if Sunak stops paying his lawyers. <laughs> yep, that's right. The Express article that Crudis posted went on to say, thousands of supporters of Boris Johnson, are there really thousands? Jesus, have got in touch with Lord Crudis, who is coordinating crowdfunding for his party oh gate legal fees. That is thousands of people. Absolute gullible mugs <laughs> who want to give even 50 pence to the bombastic, unscrupulous, dishonest sex yeti that is Johnson, who could not give the smallest of shits about you or anybody else. I mean, imagine, imagine all the charities that you could donate to. There are so many worthy causes. Help homeless people, help animals, help people suffering from cancer. No, I'm going to give my money to Johnson. The multi-million, anyway, there you go. Horses for courses, it takes all sorts. So if you're one of those people, uh, sure, yeah, good luck, etc. Have you donated, Marina? Have you donated? I haven't donated. Can you imagine if like your other half was like, yeah, I've just, I just felt like I should give some money just to, you know, help support him. Yeah. He's having a rough yeah. time. And I think, you know, for justice, it helps support. Like, who are these people? And can I get their email address? <laughs> <laughs> who are ya? Who are ya? Honestly, at this point as well, if you are considering 
in all seriousness, voting Tory at the next election? Like, why? I just, I'm like, everything is rubbish. Because Labour, because they've been, <laughs> they've been conditioned to think that Labour will be so much worse. Labour's basically going to be the same. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. Opens up a whole can of worms. It's not. It's not going to be the yeah. same. It's just going to feel maybe slightly similar sometimes. Mm. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure none of you are going to do that anyway. No, you should we listen. move on to Sunak's promises, the yes. ones that were promised, but then they got downgraded to pledges, didn't they? <laughs> and then next week they might be framed as well. It would be nice to have it ideally, yeah. <laughs> so he's got the halve this, grow that, stop the boots and the boats and wherever else. But what he's actually delivered, which we learned in a scathing article from David Henk at Byline Times, is that. He has delivered a, oh God, quadrupling Mm. of government fraud under his watch from the criminal, quite frankly, 5.5 billion to 21 billion. 21 billion. Gross, Gemma. Gross, gross. Stick that in the front of a lectern, honestly. I mean, that is just completely mad, isn't it? Basically, HM Revenue and Customs, which was the direct responsibility of Sunak when he was Chancellor, contributed enormously to the rise in fraud after Sunak approved £97 to be spent on the pandemic furlough scheme, which at the time, well, and I I was all in favour of that. Very much so. Very much so. Absolutely. So that was good. The bounce back loan scheme, what we will never forgive him for, which we still get messages from people about, is the people who were completely excluded, by the way. Mm. So I still would never forgive him for that because that was extremely cruel. But then he had his eat out to help out scheme. And that was supposed to combat the downturn in the economy <laughs> during the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, that did really well. And the scale of the fraud, I don't know if you remember at the time, it was so bad. And by the way, furlough great, but there need to be safeguards in process because people are obviously going to try and swindle the system. And this is the problem I had, is that they just left it open. There were Mickey Mouse companies. Do you remember there were companies registered as like Fred Flintstone and stuff? Yeah. Took the absolute piss. Yeah. And he never went after any of it either. No, when just, he knew there was about nine billion that was total bollocks, they never went after it. It's just written off, just written off, just like all of the other Tory-linked, you know, crony VIPs, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so the scale of the fraud was so bad that Lord Agnew, I don't know if you remember this, he was a Tory peer and Treasury Minister. He actually resigned after billions were written off from just the loan scheme alone. And he said that oversight of loan scheme had been nothing less than woeful. He was basically admitting that there had been gross fraud all under the watch of Boris Johnson's government while Rishi Sunak was Chancellor. Oh, and then there was Eat Out to Help Out, which just was an unforgivable title, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you had half a filthy mind, it was very amusing. <laughs> you know I didn't even think about that. You're so oh, gross. come on, don't lie. You did. Everybody did. Come on now. Didn't you? Oh, God. Right. I'll shut up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we learned that this week that that did not follow the science. In fact, Professor, I've gone red. In fact, Professor John Edmonds, who was a member of the SAGE Committee, <laughs> what you don't get in other news podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Professor John Edmonds said, if we had been consulted, I would have been clear what I thought about it, said Edmonds. As far as I'm concerned, it was a spectacularly stupid idea and an obscene way to spend public money, which does make you wonder if that might be part of the reason Sunak is launching legal action against his own government inquiry. 
So Ian Dunt was onto something. He indeed tweeted, maybe Rishi doesn't want everyone to remember that one of the problems he solved during the pandemic was how to infect more people. Indeed. In fact, there was a picture of, do you remember when Rishi Sunak was promoting Eat Out to help out and he was like in a restaurant and he was carrying a plate on each hand and yeah. someone captioned it with, COVID, who ordered the COVID? <laughs> and I even remember, I've seen that with sound and I, I'm so sad. I remember it was chicken katsu curry and he went up to two people and went, hello there, did you order the chicken katsu curry? And they looked up and went, no. And he went, oh, oh. I thought you can't even get that right. No. Anything normal, anything normal every day, he falls down. So, <laughs> right, we are moving on and it's a bit of a Brexit news for you all because not only do we learn every day seemingly of some new damage and devastation caused as a result of the country basically duped into imposing economic sanctions on itself, but this week we also learned how Brexit may have severely impacted our COVID response. Farouk at Implausible Blog tweeted this damning video and it's in two parts. So the first part is Boris Johnson, who we learned this week, scrapped, he scrapped the pandemic team six months before COVID hit. Have a listen. We got the most difficult challenges uh, of COVID right and got the big calls right. Okay. Okay. Did you, <laughs> did you though? Did you though, Boris Johnson? Because n- let's hear the second clip from Professor Lucy Eastop, who was the UK expert advisor on emergency planning and disaster recovery. Let's hear what Lucy has to say. We were told uh, we couldn't plan for Brexit and a pandemic at the same time. They were too, it was too uh, ridiculous to think of both happening at the same time. And so as disaster planners, I think we started to feel very, um, very stymied in our ability to go into it in our best, in our best, uh, in our best foot forward kind of thing. Who told you that? Yeah. Oh, Mm. gosh, it's just, oh, it's quite painful, isn't it? Mm. And when you know as well, all the false economies and terrible shortcuts that the Tories have made, if you go as far back as old Jeremy Hunt, Mr. Lockdown, when he was health secretary, he just scrapped, didn't he? He was the one that said in austerity, Mm -hmm. let's not spend any money on PPE, even though that's what everybody all over the world was advised to have because you have to freshen it up when it goes out of date. So he just got rid of all of that. And then Johnson, yeah, oh, Brexit. Yeah, Brexit's such a big, massive shitter that we can't do anything else. All the big calls, right, that's all he said. I did a tweet the other day, very simplistic, but it got a lot of traction. I just put, turns out they got all the big calls shite. (laughs) That's a Richard (laughs) Maidley type of joke. Is it a bit partridge? A little bit. Yeah. Turns out, got all the big calls shite. Oh, I was really proud of it and now I, I know, hate that it. That makes it even more interesting, maybe, the fact that you were clearly quite proud of it. Went to bed pleased. Just <laughs> tapped out of my phone, put my eye mask on, snuggled down into my uh, special pillow, and uh, yeah, went to sleep. <laughs> Another good day's work. <laughs> yeah. Another good day's work. <laughs> At Ruth 10629123 wrote, this is what happens when you cut everything to the bone to fund schemes for your rich mates. You end up chipping into the bone with devastating results. Extremely poor fiscal decision, but even more devastating is loss of lives. Mm. And this is the type of stuff 
that is going to be, I think, further unearthed in this inquiry and it's going to get even more damning. And speaking of extremely poor fiscal decisions, have a listen to this incredible clip of food campaigner Jack Monroe, which was posted by at Implausible Blog, Farouk again. By the way, thank you, this Farouk. He supplies all of the clips. So Jack Monroe in this clip explains to a Question Time audience how the cost of living crisis is actually not just that. I mean, we've been hearing a lot over the last almost, well, year and a half now about the cost of living crisis, um, as though it's fallen out of a clear blue sky. And it's not a cost of living crisis, let's be absolutely clear, although it is for everybody at the sharp end of it, and that's millions and millions of people. It's a cost of conservatives crisis. It's a cost of austerity crisis. It's a cost of 13 years of pulverising all social support and all of those safety nets that we used to have in place that propped up the fundamentals of a decent society. It's the cost of stripping out the NHS and social care and refuges and welfare and all the support that many, many people and voters might have thought they never would have needed. They didn't think that they were going to ever be one of those people who would have to dip into those pots. And now that it's affecting sort of the chattering classes, the middle classes, the media classes. It's been given a fancy title, the cost of living crisis, and it's affecting almost everybody. Oh, absolutely. Spot on. Spot on. Okay, sticking with Brexit news, because what would we do without all this glorious Brexit news? Of all the things that we could do with our newfound freedoms and sovereignty, I hadn't thought that perhaps a lowering of sperm count... (laughs) And increasing male infertility would be on my Brexit bingo card. And I don't know why I laugh like that. Like, it certainly isn't funny. No, the only reason I'm laughing is I just think of, you know, Homer Simpson when you've got his sperms and just going, doink, (laughs) doink, and they're just swimming into each other, doink. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. (laughs) Okay, as reported by the London Economic, the UK has turned its back on EU guidelines regarding the safe level of something called bisphenol A in plastic containers. Okay. The chemical, which has been linked to low sperm counts and in, I was about to say infidelity, but no, infertility, two different things, in men, as well as breast and prostate cancer, was ruled to be 20,000 times too high by EU officials this month after reviewing 800 new studies. I mean, wonderful, Marina. Absolutely blooming wonderful or not. God, that's actually an upsetting read, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. So there you go. Not very good, although perhaps a good thing where Boris Johnson is concerned. Um, <laughs> Knew that was coming. <laughs> and another Brexit update, which, though disappointing, will come as absolutely no shock whatsoever to anyone at all. London Economic again posted an article with the headline, Labour now at risk of losing votes for supporting hard Brexit. I mean, well, and this article, it went on to explain how one of the country's most experienced pollsters now believes that Labour has more to lose than gain by pursuing this stupid pro-Brexit agenda. I mean, Kel bloody surprise. And actually, that leads us to our first underrated tweet of the week. So Keir Starmer obviously put out that annoying tweet saying, Labour will make Brexit work for Britain. And Sleaford Mods, which is a band who I hadn't heard of, but I like their stance, tweeted it Mm. saying, it's an impossibility and you should know better than to peddle this dog shit onto a deeply disturbed and morally starved public. Oh, mm. boom. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. And then there's a couple more underrated tweets because there are so many good ones out there. So at the real Rin Star, the Christmas word said, 
forever wondering if I'm truly far left or if I'm just an empathetic person living in a late capitalist hellscape where I get called a commie for saying, uh, hey, maybe poor people don't deserve to starve. <laughs> it's true. Mm. This one from Victoria was good as well. At Vicky All Over wrote, had a customer in tonight moaning that the tyre pressure machine was free, but now we charge 50p. I shrugged and said, that's inflation. <laughs> and he didn't even laugh. Why do I even bother? Let's wrap up this, uh, it was brick a brack, right, this episode of The Troll. And as we await the results of the fatal motion in the House of Lords to kill off government's attempt, by the way, to effectively criminalise our right to protest. And if you don't know about it, look it up. Yes, yes, do look it up. Support Jenny Jones, the Green Peer, because she's on one and yeah. there's a petition to sign. So do do that. Yeah. So on that, here is Pudding from comedy duo at Larry and Paul. Enjoy. Welcome to Broken News. New laws come into force today which give the Metropolitan Police powers to arrest, imprison and even execute anyone for absolutely anything. The far-reaching laws also protect officers from any legal action. Our reporter has more. Acting like a bit of a dick, having a suspicious brown face and looking a little bit like you're thinking about crime are just some of the actions that, as of today, constitute criminal behaviour here in London. Alongside the new rules, the Met Police has changed its motto from working together for a safer London to don't even fucking think about it. Senior figures have welcomed the changes, which also grant total legal immunity to any officers carrying out what they say are necessary law enforcement procedures, like kicking someone's head in, shooting dogs in the face, or full-on sexual assault. The force has reiterated that its tolerance for people doing literally anything is the lowest since records began, but has also clarified that major financial fraud and institutional corruption remain beyond its remit. Back to you. Lovely story. That's all from Broken News. You're up to date. 